this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. God, may we believe, Father, and may we trust that your goodness is chasing after us, God. Your goodness is running after us as fast as you can. Father, you love us even when we don't deserve it, Father. You have given us such a gift, Father, of, of life and love and grace. God, that we don't deserve, but yet you so freely gave to us. God, may we always feel the weight of that. May we feel, God, just the love that you have given to us. God, there's no season in our life where you love us more, you love us less. Father, you love us the same. You love us throughout. God, you don't turn our backs. You don't turn your back on us, Father. God, we're so thankful for your goodness. God, as we sang earlier about just, there is a king, Father. What a king. What other king, God, was able to give their life and then raise again and give such a, a gift of eternal life, Father. There's no one like you. We love you, God. We pray that as we open your scripture this morning, God, move in our hearts, transform our lives. Allow us to hear something today that, that God, we haven't heard before. God, that rings so true and so fresh for us, Father, that we go out and we share with others. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 1, kind of a continuation of last week. And uh, if you were with us last week, we're, see, we're going through the story of Stephen, that journey of his life in ministry, serving people through preaching, and then ultimately through this trial, and it's going to end up in his persecution and death. And so Stephen was a, what we call the first martyr. He's the first one who died because of his faith um, in Jesus. And so we can look at him and ask some questions, but I want you to ask the question this morning walking away, do you and would you pursue Christ like Stephen? Y'all remember the classic WWJD bracelets? Does anybody have one on today? Oh, I thought we might get one. Okay. Those old uh, WWJD bracelets, they stood for, uh, y'all remember what it stood for? What would Jesus do? Yeah, so I think in Stephen's life, I think about that question. And for him, when he asked the question, what would Jesus do? He faced difficult scenarios where he was faithful. And so I want you, as we go through this and as we uh, study this together, I want you to be thinking about what would, what would you do, right? What would you do in this situation? Stephen was following after Jesus. And I think, man, like, are you with me on this? That if Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts and together he's painting this picture of what life was like with Jesus and what life was like with the Holy Spirit because of Jesus in the early church in Acts. then I think there's, we can, we can safely say, I think that there's some, uh, that Luke understood what he was doing, right? When he connected Stephen to Jesus. 
So there's, there are a lot of connections, as I've talked about before, with, G, with Stephen and Jesus. I hope, as I said last week, that in your life and in my life, people go, man, there are a lot of connections in their life with Jesus. There's a lot of what they do that just looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus. Like he must be following Jesus, which is ultimately the goal of WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Is that we are faithful to what Jesus would call us to do. Just like Stephen is faithful to do exactly what God has called him to do. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. says, Are these things true, the high priest asked, which we ended with last week. It's this question that Jesus received in John 18 as well from, his, uh, from the people that were coming against him. They asked the question, what is truth? So what is truth? Tell us truth. And here's where Stephen gets the opportunity to preach. Do we receive this same opportunity in our life? Where the world asks the question, begs the question, essentially, what is truth? What is life? Where is life? How can we find life? What will it look like when we find it? Look at Stephen's response. Brothers and fathers, he replied, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country, and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and worship me in this place. And so he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. And you may be sitting here like, man, this is... This is like an Old Testament just story. And I think it's really cool. Like we kind of have like a short synopsis of the Old Testament in Stephen's sermon here. But don't forget this. How did Jesus preach? Jesus would consistently go back to the Old Testament and bring it into his life. You see, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. And so Stephen kind of takes over that responsibility as he preaches of, of showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So as we walk through this, I want you to remember that when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? Let's preach like Jesus. Let's teach like Jesus. Let's respond to questions like, what is truth? Like Jesus would have. So his question, what is truth? He responds by starting with the Old Testament. I know some preachers today, I know some churches today that don't preach from the Old Testament. I think that it's irrelevant. Now we just preach from the New Testament. That's not what my Jesus did. That's not what Stephen modeled for us. How do we answer truth? Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God has been doing because God is an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan and an unstoppable church. So here's how he responds. Continue with me in verse 9. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his troubles and gave him fa favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there the, uh, the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all. 
And Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Verse 17, as the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. Okay, pause with me. What is, what is he doing here? What is Stephen doing? Because you're just going through the Old Testament story and we're like, man, like he's kind of, this is kind of lengthy. He's got an opportunity in front of this group, like convince them that they shouldn't kill you. What are you doing with your time? Okay, he just brought in a significant character, Moses. You remember from chapter six, what their issue with Stephen was. Their issue was that he was talking about God and Moses, specifically God and Moses. Okay, so in this text, Stephen is going to address both God and Moses. So now he's just brought up Moses saying he was beautiful in God's sight. All right, so we're going to esteem Moses here in this moment. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him, in, uh, raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. Like affirming Moses, the people who are listening are into this, excited about Moses. They, they admired Moses, uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, specifically these people who are against Stephen. Okay, so we're good right now. Verse 23, when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to rescue and avenge the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give him deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years passed, and an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching it to look at it, the voice of the Lord came, I am. And the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. Take off the sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now come, I will send you. Okay, so now we're introduced to God. We've got Moses, we've got God. We've got both the characters that the, the people who are coming up against Stephen don't appreciate the way that Stephen's talking about them. So they're listening in, like a keen ear listening into this. Okay, what is he going to say about God? What is he going to say about Moses? Now, here's what we know so far. Moses has been sort of held up as someone who's going to be used by God, and God has been held up as the one who is relieving people from oppression and slavery. Okay, so these are good things so far. Uh, for the people especially. Now, think about this too. Moses has been in the presence of God. Do you remember back in chapter 6 when they talked about Stephen being raised up as the deacon uh, for the church, to serve the church and to wait on the tables, essentially take the food to the orphans and widows, to take the food to those who are in need? It said that Stephen was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God was with him. Okay, 
Walk with me. Continue on. Verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So we know two things about Moses. He's sent to be this ruler or judge and a deliverer. He's going to judge things and he's going to be the deliverer. So Moses is going to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land or lead them to the promised land. And he's going to give them laws like the ruler judge, things that they should obey, things they should do. This is where we get the Ten Commandments from, right? So Moses is going to lead them through the wilderness towards the promised land because he delivered them out. This is good. This is the deliverer. This still, again, would be good things for the people who are listening. Verse 36. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. So here's where he starts to transition, right? This is where he starts to say, okay, Moses was looking forward to a savior. A prophet, as he uses in this passage, but we get it clarified with Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets that there's a prophet coming who's going to be the savior, the deliverer. The one who's going to die for the transgression sins of people. He's going to save them, deliver them from their own sin and the death in this world. So now Moses is being used by God, but he's also looking forward to the, who, who, to the one who's going to come after him. Verse 38. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Oh, here's where it gets difficult for the people listening. Pushed him aside in their hearts, turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idols, and were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophet. House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, so I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Setting up the scenario that Moses preached, proclaimed the truth, but the people wanted Egypt again. Moses delivered them, but they wanted to go back into enslave, enslavement. And so what he's saying is, and we're about to read it, what he's saying is the people who are coming up against Stephen has seen a new deliverer, Jesus. Heard of the salvation that he offers, but they are turning from Jesus and wanting to go back into their own enslavement. So he says, verse 44, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house, but the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? We have two issues here for the people who are listening. First, Moses is the deliverer they rejected, and so is Jesus. They rejected Moses, and they've rejected Jesus. Second, God does not dwell in a box. He doesn't dwell in a building. He doesn't dwell in the wood of this building. He has chosen to dwell in you. So what 
Stephen's saying is he doesn't live in a bush. He doesn't live in a tabernacle. He doesn't live in a temple. The tabernacle is what Moses outlined. The temple is what David, then Solomon outlined. So he's saying he doesn't live in these boxes. He lives in you. He lives in us. And so it's a confrontation of two things. Jesus is the deliverer who they rejected, and the Holy Spirit is living in them, and they're rejecting it. So look at, what he, look at how he continues. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. So he's clarifying there. This is the issue. Resistance of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is the Savior and Deliverer and the presence with them. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Man, like just truth after truth he's spitting here, right? Like we, we, we teach and want to continue to offer grace and truth. Here's his, here's his truth. Stiff-necked people was a, a, uh, a hard way of confronting, Right? But not only to say stiff-necked people, but he also calls them out in two other ways. He says, you have received the law, but you don't follow it. These are the people that they taught the law. They instru- like instructed kids to follow after it and grew them up and taught them and trained them to become other leaders of the law. And people that didn't follow the law, they were the ones who uh, would condemn. They were the ones who would come in and say, you're not following after the law, you need to. So these were like kind of like the police of the law, but they were also the teachers of the law. And so for Stephen to say, you've heard the law, but you're not following it. For Stephen to say, uh, God's presence is not dwelling with you because of you, because you're stiff-necked people. This was like a, a, confronta- a huge confrontation for Stephen to be saying to these people. In fact, it, it kind of makes sense with what, they, what happens next. Verse 54 when they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. And I've never been a part of a church business meeting where people have gnashed their teeth at each other. But if you could put yourself in this kind of position, we're talking people surrounding around Stephen, literally yelling at him and gnashing their teeth at him. So you got to kind of put yourself in this scene. You got to put yourself in this situation and say, okay, what would this look like? What, what was going on? Why were they treating each other this way? But it says in verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Man, I love that. Because out of all the, 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 you know, he doesn't dwell in a temple, in a tabernacle, or in the bush. It says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. How is Stephen able to serve, preach, endure persecution, and love these people? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. And it says, he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This, man, this is, if you, if you wanted to know, like if you're wondering, like, why do we believe that Jesus is God? Why do we believe in the Trinity? Why do we believe in the, like, this is a fantastic passage to go to. Because in one moment, we see that Stephen has the Holy Spirit in him. We see that Stephen sees the Father in heaven and the Son standing, not sitting as Psalm 110 would say. He is standing as the judge and deliverer of Stephen. When all these other men are coming against him, Jesus is there standing. That is the Trinity at work in one moment to provide for Stephen what he needed. There are people in all sorts of denominations and churches today that will say Jesus is not God. 
essentially what they will say is something to this effect. God existed and then came in the form of man and then now lives as spirit. But there's not Trinity. He didn't exist at all times. And there wasn't Jesus pre-existing and the Holy Spirit and Father. It was just he takes on different forms. We call it modalism. There's some that say Jesus simply wasn't God. He was just another prophet. Just came and taught these things. So we see the Trinity here, but let's, let's dig in a little deeper. Do, does Stephen, and I want you to ask this question. Does Stephen and does our word, the Bible, teach that Jesus is God? Verse 57. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. What did Stephen say that would cause them to kill him? You could say somebody was a prophet, that he was a false prophet. Plenty of people did this. You could say that Stephen, uh, that, that Jesus had um, performed miracles. And, you know, they might get frustrated about it. And they might try to condemn him and all these different things. But you're not going to get killed about it. But you say that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God and is standing, not sitting, and is the judge and deliverer. What Stephen was doing was equating Jesus to God. There was nobody else that should be on the throne. There's nobody else that should receive the glory. There's nobody else that should be put in this place. So when, the, when Stephen puts him in this place, the reason it frustrates them is not because Stephen's saying Jesus is a prophet. It's not because he's saying he's simply someone who came to do miracles. It's because Stephen is clearly articulating that Jesus and the Holy Spirit that is in Stephen is God. This is what we call a high Christology. Stephen is in this moment telling us we have, an, we have the choice, we have an option today. Will we believe in Jesus? Will we believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord over all? Or will we, like these stiff-necked pe- people and these uncircumcised hearts and ears, reject Jesus? And that's our question today. Will we follow Jesus like Stephen? Will we believe in Jesus like Stephen? Or will we, like these other people, reject Jesus? Verse 58. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. The reason I wanted to bring that up is because of Saul. Saul is a significant character that's going to continue throughout Scripture uh, to be a significant man, and he was there. He was there, and I think that this causes Saul. It it starts to change Saul. It exposes Saul. It shows us who Saul was. It shows us what he did. Saul was there when Stephen was killed, and it's going to make a difference as we continue uh, engaging Acts. Verse 59, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Remember when I said Jesus, uh, Stephen is like Jesus because he, he does all these different things that are so similar to Jesus? When he says, receive my spirit, it's a reference to Luke 23, 24, where Jesus says, unto you I commit my spirit, right? So Stephen is doing the same thing. And I love, I love what he says here because, again, Jesus is God. Look at this. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He doesn't say, God the Father, receive my spirit. And this is why, because he knows that there's somebody between us and God the Father who's making us a way so that we can get to the Father. 
Jesus has provided a way between us and the Father that we have this new way. And so he says, he cries out to Lord Jesus. Even in this moment, this would have just furthered that, 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 uh, their frustration with Stephen because Stephen is saying, Jesus is God. No one else could receive his spirit other than God. Jesus must be God. And Stephen is directly declaring, Lord Jesus, Jesus is God. Receive my spirit. Verse 60. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Again, Stephen, so similar to Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verse 69. Jesus is uh, uh, being killed for, um, for miracles and for salvation. And because it's part of God's plan, Jesus is being killed. And on the cross, his, the people who are killing him are in front of him. And what does he say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. In the same way, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he dies. Did you, do you notice also, is it not so, like, this is such a beautiful picture of how we should engage culture. Grace and truth. The truth, stiff-necked people. We see it in the passage. You're stiff-necked people and you have uh, uncircumcised hearts and ears, which was like just a slap in the face, Right? Because uncircumcised hearts is what Jeremiah and Isaiah said they should have for God's presence to dwell with them. Uncircumcised ears means that they're not following after the law. He then directly says you've received the law from angels, but you're not obeying it. Like he was confronting. We shouldn't be afraid to confront culture. But at the same time, he comes back and he says, God, forgive them. Like that's grace and truth. That is the love that we should be able to display. Love is both declaring what is right and declaring what is wrong. Love is trying to help people, but not just suppress them. This grace and truth model that Jesus gives is lived out through Stephen. So again, will you follow Jesus like Stephen? And I hope that other people are able to say in your life, they're able to say, man, that person looks like, that person looks like Jesus. Like, I want to follow after them because they look like Jesus. I want to follow after Stephen because he looks like Jesus. It's not too much longer that, they, that we want to follow after Paul, even though Saul was right there and they lay the clothes down at his feet and then he becomes Paul. They're laying that down at his feet. Now I want to follow Paul. I don't know where you are. Some of you I do. Some of you are in really difficult situations. I know where some of you are and I know that it's hard. But I look at Saul. Saul was there with Stephen and Saul saw Stephen. And I can only imagine... Then when Saul saw Stephen, maybe he walked away with the same question. What would Stephen do? Stephen's the one that follows after Jesus. I want to look like him. Like, I, I want to talk like him, act like him. I want to serve like him. This man was raised up as a deacon, was preaching, was enduring persecution and died all within a few weeks because he had the faith to endure whatever God laid before him. Because we have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan that's using an unstoppable church. This is what God does. Even though Stephen is dead, it creates a movement that will last. Grace and truth. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 with me. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Man, that's a weird way to end, but let me tell you something. From right there until the end of Acts, we see the church continue to grow. We see the church continue to be victorious. And what Gamaliel said just rings true in my mind here. 
You know, Gamaliel said in a couple chapters back, remember? Chapter 4 and 5. He said, just let them do their thing. Like, just let the church go. And we'll see what happens. If their leader dies, they will try, they'll get scattered out and they'll just kind of fizzle down. Well, Jesus died and they just kept growing. Stephen died and the church is about to grow. Gamaliel said, just let them die and they'll die off. But what happens with the church is when they die, the Holy Spirit just continues to move, continues to work throughout the church because we have an unstoppable God, an unstoppable plan, and an unstoppable church. You can't stop it with just one death. You can't stop it with bringing in, stealing, killing, and destroying like the devil tries to do. It just keeps going forward. And I think it's encouraging for you and in your life and in my life, I hope, that it's not just for the global church, but it's for you. There's seasons definitely in our life, right? There's seasons where we feel like, man, I'm just defeated. Like, it's done. Like, we're toast. We've been scattered. I, I can't do anything else. I got nothing else. And it's like, man, in those seasons, we've got to remember Stevens. We've got to remember the church moved forward. We've got to remember that with every death, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, it's like a seed being planted that can grow forth. Stephen was a seed being planted that was going to grow and be resurrected to live with God for eternity. But also this movement was going to be started in the church to go throughout all the nations and spread the gospel because the Holy Spirit keeps moving forward. So God's presence doesn't live in a box. God's people are full of grace and truth. And God's plan, it is not culturally bound to what the culture wants. It's not, it's not going to just do what the culture says. It's not going to abide by the culture's rules. Just like Stephen didn't lis- listen to the culture and just say, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to fall into that place. Maybe Jesus isn't God. I'm going to fall into that place. Maybe he wasn't the deliverer. I'm just going to listen to you guys. Maybe Moses wasn't looking forward to Jesus. He didn't just like succumb to the culture. He stuck with what God had given him. He stood strong, and because of it, he died. But the gospel moved forward, and the Holy Spirit spread forward. And don't forget this, because we can't walk away from this story depressed. Stephen, he's reigning for eternity. He's with my king. The earth, it's my king's footstool. Stephen, he's in heaven forever. So don't, Stephen's legacy carries on. Stephen was faithful, and so Two, do you have the challenge to be faithful? Your story might be of struggle right now. Your story might look like just frustration, struggle with sin, trying to overcome what you're being tempted by. I mean, it's not the end. And no matter what happens in the valleys, no matter what happens today, maybe in the mountains, no matter what happens to you today, your story's not over because every seed that is planted can grow forward. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. You're not over. Stephen's not done. The Holy Spirit's not done. So I got two gospel responses for you as the band comes. And we'll have some uh, prayer leaders around for you to pray with. Two gospel responses. First, first one is this. It's, it's simple. Every time this week you face a decision, I want you to ask that age-old question. I remember in middle school, the first time somebody gave me the WWJD bracelet, right? You may think it's cheesy. Well, I used water guns as an illustration last week, so I'm on a roll. Um, But seriously, every time you face a situation this week, I want you to think about that. What would Jesus do? And and, and y'all, I don't 
I don't want just the cheesiness. Uh, um, you know, when we grew out of that fad, if you will, of the WWJD bracelets, we grew out of that season, if you will. Here's what doesn't change. What Stephen did in response. So Stephen was asked the question, what would Jesus do multiple times throughout his life? Would he serve the church? Yes, he did. Would he preach? Yes. He preached just like Jesus. It's just so cool to look at what Stephen was, how Jesus, uh, Stephen was preaching because it was like Jesus. It was cool how Stephen responded to persecution. He stood up and did not back down. It was cool how he even died like Jesus. God, forgive them. Right? Receive my spirit and forgive them. Stephen, when Stephen was asked the question, what would Jesus do? He consistently did what Jesus would do. And my challenge to you is the same. Every time you are, you are asked a question this week, every time you face a different de- decision, we ask, what would Jesus do? Or maybe even this, what would Stephen do? Because I think we can follow people who follow Christ. We can follow great examples. And maybe the person to your right or left right now is the greatest example of Christ on this earth to you. They are embodying the word of God to you. And if not, I hope that you will be that to them. Just like Stephen was in the face of persecution and death, he was faithful. Will you be faithful? My second challenge is this, for those who are in this room, if you're online, this might not necessarily apply to you, but for those who are here in this room, I hope that you are joining us for the church picnic. I have a challenge for you based on this passage from Stephen. As you go, would you, I know it's, I know cultures are different. I understand we're bringing like all sorts of generations together and people from all sorts of different backgrounds. There's people sitting in this room who are of different denominations who've come to this church. We're so glad you're here. I know that there's just so many different beliefs and ideas and generations and cultures that you come from, but we can all come together with this grace and truth. Would we, would, we, would we engage each other in a way that is full of love, but do it. Don't, don't back down. Don't, don't stop engaging. Don't, don't not talk to somebody because of fear of what culture they're from or background they're from or ideas they may bring to the table. Speak with grace, speak with truth, but have conversations. Just like Stephen didn't back down, don't back down. Just like the church, when they were spread apart to different nations, just kept flourishing. I pray that you, as you go throughout this city, engaging different cultures and different generations and all sorts of different people, would bring grace and truth, never backing down from what God has called you to do. This is fellowship. It's the greatest form of fellowship that we've ever seen is in the early church when they come together united on what God had called them to do, and yet they were being killed for their faith. If following after Jesus, that's what we're choosing to do, are we not following after the same Jesus who led himself to the cross, who chose Jerusalem on his own accord? What will it look like for you this week to follow after Jesus? Will you follow Jesus like Stephen did? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people in it. I thank you for the fellowship that's about to take place. I thank you for the worship through song, through your word, through prayer, and uh, through gathering together as believers. I pray, God, that you would bless this time of singing and then engaging in community. Father, would you restore our hearts? And one day, just like Stephen, would you raise us from the dead? We trust you to do this. We trust you, Father, and we praise you in your son's name. Amen.
Praise God for today. It's a wonderful day to worship Him. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.